Cristina Fuentes Antoniazzi is an actor, meditation teacher, and communication consultant. She is Chilean and currently resides in Manchester, England. Cristina is studying a PhD in drama, performance, and dance at the University of Huddersfield. The objective of her research is to develop a mindfulness-based performer training, MBPT. Cristina studied acting at Universidad Diego Portales with psychology studies at the same university. She also has a degree in management from the School of Economics and Business, University of Chile. She is a meditation teacher accredited by Shambhala International and also has a diploma in mindfulness in relations by the Instituto Mindfulness Chile. Currently, she teaches mindful acting classes to professional actors in Manchester. So, Chris, welcome. I'm so glad you could uh, come and make time for this uh, conversation. And uh, it's really good to connect with you. And in this uh, podcast, I've just been talking to my friends who are uh, doing all these amazing things in the world like you and sharing uh, our stories. And um, one of the things that I'm always curious about is what is an early moment in your life where you you know sort of questioned your reality or where you had some sense of like what we might call a an experience of you know knowing you're alive and being curious about it it's not necessarily religious but just uh maybe a spiritual experience so um yeah what would you um share in that regard so, hi, Nick, and first, thank you for having me here, and thank you for asking me to have this conversation with you, and I feel honored to uh, have this space so that we can share uh, a bit of my experience, and uh, regarding your first question, yeah, I don't know if I could call it spiritual experience, but I remember that one of the first things that I was intrigued by or that sparkled my curiosity was this sense of the infinity. Uh, I remember that I don't know how old I was when I was in math class and they the teacher must have like introduced us to this symbol of infinity and I just couldn't get it. It was too much for me, for my little mind. I, I could get finite numbers, you know, I could get one plus two is three because if I had two apples and then I had an extra one that will mean that I had three apples and then yeah uh, I could understand thousands like in a very concrete um, way even millions but when this symbol arise that it was infinite it was just mind-blowing I couldn't understand it and I remember that I took it like, you could say like homework, you know, I took it to my home and I remember lying on my bed and having this kind of a personal practice of trying to understand infinity. What does this mean? How would it be? How come the universe is infinite? Or what does it mean that the infinity exists and how I, as a finite being, can think about infinity? So sometimes I tried, I remember that I tried to understand it like more kind of in a physical or geographical way of kind of doing a, a super zoom out. You know, of okay, I'm here at my house, lying on my bed, 
and this is my neighborhood, and this is my country, Chile, and South America, and then the globe, and then the solar system, and the galaxy. But no matter what did I imagine, it was bigger than that. So that was like, oh, what is this? <laughs> and sometimes it wasn't even with, I remember not even thinking about concrete things, but just allowing myself to kind of contemplate infinity. Mm. So what does infinite mean and expand my mind and just feel this vastness? Mm. And then with meditation practice, and now that, that we are talking about it, because I've never thought about it before, uh, I could make these links between meditation practice, the sense of awareness, of vipassana, of openness, and these early practices or game, mind game uh, of infinity. I love it. You know, like the, the childlike... Um, creativity and playfulness of of our of a child's mind is is such a good example for us later in life to kind of connect mm. with. Yeah, that's so cool. What in this moment in our world right now is sort of coming up for you? What is uh, alive in this moment? I would guess dealing with uncertainty, that's kind of the most obvious answer. <laughs> yes. Because I just don't know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know where am I going to be in one year time. I don't know if I'm going to be here in Manchester or in Chile. I just don't know so many things like this COVID reality just was kind of a, a pulling the rag experience and uh, at least I but I guess that us as humanity uh, are now faced to this reality of you know uncertainty and well, as Buddhists, one of the marks of the existence is impermanence, but this made it really clear, you know, <laughs> that uh, from one moment to the other, things can change radically. Yeah. And the way I used to study um, is not the same. The way we used to inhabit um, a city, the possibilities of traveling or seeing relatives, everything has changed and there's no rude guide, there's no right or wrong way. Nobody knows how is it going to evolve. So I think uncertainty is really, really alive nowadays. <laughs> yes. I hesitate to say it's always a safe bet because it's not, but it's always it's always there, as you've mentioned. But right now, it seems so, like you're saying, so visible. And yet, we're still living our lives, and each of us is is challenged to find out how to do that in this. And I know with your, you know, sort of professional work, you know, you and your you've continued with what you're working on. And um, I mean, obviously that there's, there's still people uh, acting and wanting to act and um, it actually art and creativity uh, and imaginational energy has so much to offer the world at, and, uh, at this time. But it has changed the way, like for example, theater is taught, you know, nowadays 
for example, in Chile and in Brazil that I've been in touch with people there, they're teaching online courses of theater, you know, drama, that it's so um, face-to-face <laughs> or <laughs> a presential uh, teaching. So, yeah, it's it's changing everything and and we don't know and I don't know how is it going to be in the future. So I guess that's, um, yeah. Yeah. Adaptation or um, sort of, it seems like when we started out talking about the child's imagination and that even being beyond the idea of spiritual or not, it's just, you said games, but fun and games actually are incredibly meaningful and uh, important in terms of uh, working with theater and acting and 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 the way we understand ourselves in art, you know, and mm. you've been working with a lot of people in uh, both in Chile and Manchester, you know, bringing mindfulness and awareness into uh, acting in theater. I'm wondering, um, yeah, if you would share a little with us around that and the work you've been doing there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm so happy to be able to share about this because I feel so fortunate to be doing this research, basically. I'm doing a PhD uh, in theater, and the objective of my research is to develop a mindfulness-based performer training. So this has, give me, has given me the opportunity to work with, hundreds of people and try different exercise dynamics, see what works, what doesn't and uh, figure out a way to make these mindfulness techniques, if you can say that, accessible to actors. So what would be the best format to do it? What would be the best language to present it? Uh, in what length should I present it like an eight-week format or is it better to do shorter sessions? So it has been really interesting to keep an open question instead of going to the answer and just uh, allow myself not to not know once again, not know the answer, but just go ahead and ask these questions and try different things and see what works and what doesn't. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the central claim of this research is that I, as an actor and mindfulness teacher, um, really believe that this theory and practice of mindfulness could uh, provide va valuable and transferable uh, techniques for actor training and I specifically frame it in management of attention the attention on stage so that's the way I, I guess the language that that actors would understand easily that you have to be on the moment and how can we train our attention? Because in actor training, attention is a key aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness, the way I approach it, has these three elements of attention, awareness, and compassion. And the way that I approach it comes from a specific lineage that you know very well, it's <laughs> called a symbol that is based and rooted on, on Tibetan Buddhism. So uh, in a way, my personal experience, I'm using my personal experience on, on behalf of this uh, academic 
quest <laughs> and and seeing how does it match or not or what is it what do I need to adapt what you were talking about before how can we adapt these teachings mm. uh, to different backgrounds mm. that they are applicable and that they make sense basically yeah it's so interesting you know I remember, I think I told you about this, but uh, uh, once we were talking about it, but a, a story of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, speaking with Richard Gere, you know, who's an actor and a student of his, and His Holiness was trying to understand, you know, what is it you do? And, and you know, Richard Gere was describing it, and His Holiness said, oh, but that's what everyone does. Everyone makes up stories and believes them. Uh, And and so it's kind of this funny exchange. But then on the other hand, what you're talking about here is that, but in order to know you're doing it and be an art, uh, have it be an art uh, as an actor, you have to have that attention and empathy and awareness. And I guess I'm, but one thing that strikes me though, there is this interesting question I think comes out of this for me around your work, which is we have this term that comes out of the Tibetan and Shambhala traditions of wangtong or authentic presence. The idea that someone being, you know, genuinely who they are, um, you know, is, is, is kind of a powerful thing and it, it has a way of affecting others. At the same time, how does that help an actor portray someone else who they might not actually be that person, right? Um, do you mm. know what I mean? Like, how does being authentic help you in being an actor? Yeah, well, I think that one metaphor that can explain this is that in order to be authentic, you have to learn how to peel the layers of the onion in a way and just stay with the vulnerable and open core of yourself instead of all these patterns and layers of uh, habitual patterns and kind of uh, rigid behaviors that we've learned in order to protect ourselves. And that is rooted in Buddhism, but I think that we're not going (laughs) to go so far today. But basically, uh, to make it simple, you can use the metaphor of uh, a teacup. So uh, there's a story of a Zen master that there's a professor that goes to visit the Zen master. And he wants to have teachings from him. So this uh, student offer the teacher tea and he start pouring the tea and the teacher never said say, says stop so the tea starts to uh, how do you say that to overflow overflow and he said that's you that's your mind it's overflowed with ideas so there's no room for me to teach you. Mm. So coming back to what you were saying of authenticity, it requires discipline in a way to be able to stay in touch and maintain this openness of just being yourself Mm. and feeling that it's okay. Constantly, we're not doing that. Actors are not actors. People <laughs> who act or people who act without knowing that they're acting. Uh, we are all... Uh, actually, Toyin Trumper in Poche has a very interesting text that is called The Portable Stage, mm-hmm. where he talks about this thing that we're all the time making a scene. And sometimes... <laughs> He used it like literally of making a big scene, you know, but most of the time we do it unconsciously. We are constantly bringing to wherever we are this sense of stage. 
that we unfold. And uh, then sometimes it can be kind of really obvious, like if you come to an office, you put certain lights that you like, certain music, you know, and then you feel that you are on your space. Or um, another example that I often use is when you are on a date and you're inviting someone at home, then this sense of creating the atmosphere is quite obvious. So you basically clean the bathroom, <laughs> you know, and put up, put out the socks, and uh, and try and make it a decent place. And if you have more time, then you put, you know, uh, nice music and lights, and perhaps prepare something to eat. But there, you're doing it on purpose. Mm. But as you were saying before, most of the time we do this but we don't even know that we do it. Mm. So all the time we are creating this portable stage that allows us or enable us to act within it. Most of the time the character is ourself. <laughs> and what is great about it, if you think about it, is that we can bring it wherever we are, we take it with us. So if we are, in, I don't know, in a holiday in Thailand and we're used to losing our keys, we're going to do it anyway, you know, <laughs> even though we're in a completely different part of the world. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's this sense of how mindfulness can help us to acknowledge this so that we can let it go and become available mm. to others mm. instead of being self-absorbed in my own need, fears, because we do this portable stage, the, the basic fuel is that we want to be loved, to be accepted, and we fear to be rejected. So all the time, whatever we're doing, we're with these antennas sensing our uh, rating, you could say, you know, how is it going? Am I okay? Or am I going to, like somebody's going to throw a tomato, right? So, and when we practice meditation, there's no other. So we can see clearly are the way that we create this projection, the way that we create this theater. Mm. Oh, wow, Chris, that's so beautifully described. You know, I, I, it's, I, it helps me to understand, you know, the, the, I think what I'm hearing is it's this unselfconscious thing that, that allows people to be, uh, sort of become one with what they're doing. And, and then there's a kind of authenticity that, that comes out of that. That's fascinating. It's such a um, beautiful blending that you're teaching and explaining around uh, the presence of, of, that comes from meditation and then also the, the art of acting. I, I, can, I can really feel how you're blending them. That's beautiful. Well, you know, one of the things I've I've noticed is that uh, we're a lot of our mm, material, you could say, for working with others, uh, in, especially if we're studying something or teaching something, is knowing our own sort of challenges. And uh, I'm curious, you know, what is something that you find really challenging? That uh, a situation or experience that you go, wow, that really brings me to this limit or this edge of my comfort zone or capacity. It's so easy to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> Motherhood. I'm a new mother. Congratulations. Um, yeah. 
my daughter Olivia was born five months ago in the peak of the pandemic here in Manchester. So I mean <laughs> that like becoming a mom in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, 12,000 kilometers away from home. Uh, it has been the most challenging time of my life. And it's interesting because what you were saying is that it has really pushed me to my limits. Like, and I understand how motherhood does this you know I, I realize that it's not just about me it's something that actually happens uh, that I really didn't know about it because it's an experience but yeah giving birth to this little creature that needs requires your attention and that you are feeding her from your own body and she doesn't even know what is day or night or <laughs> what is good or wrong. Or, you know, she just knows how to cry. <laughs> and Olivia cried for two months without stopping. You know, she just wasn't happy. And there was nothing that we could do to calm her. We tried everything, but nothing worked. And it was like, oh my God, this is so difficult, you know, like without sleeping, you know, with sleep deprivation, mm. without even having a proper shower, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so just like an eternal pyjama and not knowing if it was day or night and trying to calm her and feed her and... Yeah, it's just crazy. It was just crazy. And on top of that, all of this pandemic um, situation that make it made it even worse because we knew that we were going to have this baby here that was planned ahead. Mm. So we knew that it was going to be a big challenge because we were going to be away from home. But we had friends here that we were counting on their support. And we were also counting on some relatives to be able to come here and give us a hand. But that possibility just vanished. And it was just the two of us with, yeah, just mm. the three of us. Right. And, you know, so many times I thought that I wasn't going to make it, you know, it's like, okay, this is impossible. Like when you're just pushed to your limits, this is like, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm not going to survive. This. Somebody's going to die. And you know, what helped me was that, well, in the middle of this chaos was watching through the window and I could see people, walking, going to work, you know, society was happening outside of my house. Mm. So even though it was madness inside of the house, the sense that there was this structure, like people were doing their tasks, that life was continuing, like was carrying on, gave me this sense of okay if that guy is walking now to, but in in the street it means that he was a baby <laughs> and somebody took care of him and he survived <laughs> so everyone that is alive now once was a baby we're gonna make it <laughs> that's right and it made me feel such a deep appreciation mm. for all of the people that have cared mm. before us. Mm. Uh, how can I explain? Is that sense of like, we, we can make it alone. 
it's so evident that a baby just it's not designed to make it alone a baby needs care affection love attention uh, to be cuddled so it needs so much and it was like oh my god all of these creatures that are walking now and they receive this in one way or another and that's what allowed them to be alive and it was like oh that's amazing i've never thought i took it for granted mm. i never realized how much amount <laughs> of uh, care we needed in order to survive so mm. i'm so grateful for my parents for the work that they've done with me it's like i've told them like, oh thank you i didn't know that you've done so much and my father and and their parents and you know this sense of like i am so happy that somebody did this for me mm. and and yeah and, and the challenge continues i mean when we when when i was talking about the uncertainty uh, it's also the challenge of juggling uh, coming back to the phd resuming the phd after the maternity leave under these conditions of a pandemic and baby abroad and all of those things and then trying to manage very domestic tasks of like i don't know washing the dishes and <laughs> uh, while writing a chapter for the thesis you know so it's mm. i think that that once again um a shared challenge that mm. most of the people are facing right now mm. now that we are forced to be indoors inside of our homes it's how to juggle with all of the demands of the family demands and uh, work demands and how can we do it also without losing our ground you know <laughs> with our sanity <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, just knowing the, the, the intensity that people face in a PhD program and the intensity of, of being a mother of a young infant, and especially, and then in a time where there's no social support and there's no uh, normal, you know, social... Um, uh, Interaction. Yeah. One of the things I find interesting is, you know, I, I see these various uh, people talking about, oh, you know, how you'd work with time management. And some people, they come from, you know, like the organizational kind of project management kind of uh, mentality, or some people come more from like a coaching background and and then there's, you know, there's different theories, you know, like about working with time. But I think on the bigger scale, the reason it's so up and let alone now having to manage the time in your own home if you're not going to work. And how does that all work with relationships with the, the household and and just your own um, sort of your own stage set has been condensed into one very small area. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like our society in general, even before the pandemic, has this pressurization or time compression where we have these devices, these phones and scheduling. And even in the generation of children in, in the United States that I now see, you know, they're, they're from my perspective, compared to the way I grew up, you know, wandering around on my bike in the, in the town by myself or with my friends or just, you know, like, now I see these kids and they're in literally in programs like, you know, every hour is scheduled practically and they go to five practices a week for, you know, four different things. Or, and I'm, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, as a, a new mother, um, have you been thinking about, like, what, 
how will I interact with this time compressed society? And like, how will I, what kind of culture do you want to have in your uh, um, home and with parenting uh, when you see all of this? Of course, we're so in, in such an uncertain moment with the pandemic. Of course, we don't really know what many things will look like, but just as it stands, like, how do, are you thinking about these things yet? Or you're like, not yet. <laughs> What's coming up around I don't, know, a, I don't know about the big picture, but in a small picture, like just inside of my portable stage, it's yeah. very small portable stage. <laughs> um, nowadays is this sense of deep respect and appreciation for the time of the, of uh, Seb, that is my partner, for his time, and and the sense of generosity, you know, like in order for me to be here, he is holding Olivia literally, you know. So he's creating the space that allows me to do this, and that's very touching. Because I know that I couldn't do it without him, you know? And and so there's this sense of deep care and appreciation and love that allows space to happen. Without that, it would be just impossible, you know? And I don't know how other people <laughs> manage. I know that we are in a kind of a stream situation because it's just the two of us and... Um, and the rest is kind of difficult nowadays. Uh, but but still, we've we've been finding gaps, you know, finding ways to connect with space. But it, it hasn't been easy at all. And and when you have the time to write, then it's just writing time, you know. It's like my mind has to be completely on task with no time for procrastination anymore i can procrastinate all uh, what i want but away of those two hours that i have daily to work you know those two hours are really sacred time mm. and it's it's weird it just has changed everything i think that motherhood or this the way that i had to approach it uh it's just deeply trans it's a deeply transformational experience as well, you know, of being not only worried about me and my needs and my agenda and my task, but putting into this agenda the, the familiar needs, you know, like right. Olivia needs to be fed and she needs to sleep. If not, she's moody and we all suffer. Seb also needs to study uh, and has his and have his time, I don't know, recreational time, go for a ride, meet friends. If not, we all suffer. And what do I need as well? You know, like I need time to study, but I also need time to meditate or uh, to do a bit of exercise. Because if not, we all suffer. <laughs> so it's that sense of how can we juggle with all of these needs? Uh, and be generous enough to provide what is needed, but at the same time, ask what you need so that you can cultivate something. But I don't have the the answer. I mean, if you get the answer, please text me. Because <laughs> 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 I think it's, it's a big challenge, and, and we're in the middle of the challenge. I just don't know. No, I just don't know. Well, and and it yeah. like you know like touches this bottoms you know it's it's not perfect it's it's with a lot of things going on and and conflicts to deal with and then you you find your limits what you were saying you know this challenge that show you that I don't know work with ambition and practicality what is doable what commitments can you say yes and why you have to just let go it's so 
what's so clear to me is that when I'm listening to you, and actually even in the way you responded to the question I asked was sort of like, you know, what would you do if or in when or how do you, but the, I think the way you've responded is actually so powerful, which is more like it's about a modality of finding space and respecting interdependence and, and like being a, an effective communicator. It's almost like your response to me was like, you need the skills. It's totally uncertain what situations will be and how I will feel and X. But if I'm developing, and I feel like this is what you do in your work, you've talked about developing the capacity to kind of be in uh, applying, say, mindfulness and acting, but it's the same in life, applying this ability to kind of dance, you could say, with situations, that that skill almost becomes far more important than, or, or in fact, I would say for people who have had very rigid plans about what X will be, you know, if X, then Y, right now, you can't even say that. You just have to go, I don't know. And so, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's kind of baby steps, just trying something seeing if it works, then if it doesn't, just try something different. And I remember this uh, concept in Buddhism that is called Lalita, yeah? This connection where you can dance with the um, phenomenal world. So nowadays it's kind of like that. It's like an impro, you know? <laughs> there's no... Uh, there's no kind of... Um, how, how would you call this dance that you know... I don't know, in tango or different salon salon dances, how do you call yeah. them? Yeah, yeah, tango uh, or waltzes or salon, yeah. That, that you know that it's like A to B and then you have 10 steps and then you have to do this and or whatever. It's like, no, you don't know. <laughs> you only know that you're here. <laughs> and then you're here. Yeah. And then you're here. So, yeah, in the middle of all of these chaos, I'm happy that I'm here, basically. That's what I can say, you know? Like, even though it has been so hard, Nick, like, I can't just even explain how hard it has been. I'm happy that I'm here, that I'm healthy, that I'm able to resume my PhD, that my daughter is healthy, that I am with... Seb and we are together and we are okay and we love each other and <laughs> so all of those things are I think that yeah maybe because we don't know what's going to happen next at least we can appreciate what we have now that it's a lot that is so wise, and, and I think hopefully for people enduring, surviving, um, living with loss, but living in this time of the pandemic, that, you know, may it be that people can develop more of these skills of appreciating what they do have, what it, gratitude for what is here. And, and, you know, it's funny when you brought up improv, because I, uh, what I know of it is that there's a, a fundamental rule of yes and, you know, so you, you don't stop the improv, you say yes. And in some ways, I think of what you were talking about with Lalita or dancing with phenomena. It's like, okay, this is the portable stage set. Some of it I think I did. Some of it I'm not choosing. Um, I'm, I'm dancing with it. And um, it's, it comes kind of full circle to the imagination of a child and their adaptability and the way that's so connected with learning. I mean, two things I wonder from you, what have you noticed about imagination, uh, you know, perhaps even just in being a parent and with, <laughs> with Olivia, but also maybe it's uh, also, how do you see imagination as something that adults could could employ right now what would it be what would be helpful in that and so those are kind of two branches there but <laughs> with 
I'm going to go for the professional one because it's one of the results that have uh, that, that have uh, emerged from the um, from the research, and it was an unexpected result, and was the connection between inner critic and self-compassion. So when you're talking about creativity and imagination, uh, how our inner critic hinders the possibility to be creative or to even allow ourselves to imagine something because we're all the time kind of cutting our own wings saying that it's not good enough. So the inner critic, that is this character that we all have and comments about uh, our experience and basically uh, it's there because it's trying to protect us from danger. Sometimes it's, uh, it, it's too chubby, has been fed too much. <laughs> uh, and, and so it, it hinders our, our ability to, to play, to react, to have this sense of playfulness and, and enjoy what in my profession of acting, it's basic. I mean, in English you say uh, that you're doing a play, yeah. you know, so the sense of game is, <laughs> It's, it's there in the word, in the wording of, of, the, of the act, but that's not possible if we're all the time uh, criticizing ourselves. So uh, an interesting result, but I have to work on it because I'm just in the preliminary results, but it uh, was that the importance of self-compassion and how this, uh, how when you soften the relationship with yourself that enable us to regain this sense of playfulness and allow ourselves to get some risk and to do it wrong and fail and you know and be kind of a clown and it's okay you know you're not there's nothing you're not going to lose there's nothing to lose basically, like self-compassion, soften this uh, connection with ourselves and allow us to do much more things that without that is just impossible. So yeah, that, that's, a, that's a nice thought that I'm just starting to think about and, and I hopefully I will write something about it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I would great. love that. Yeah, I will have you back on the podcast and you'll tell us all about it. But I, well, Chris, this has been so fun. You know, I know that maybe you'd just be interesting. Is there anything else you would want to share that we haven't talked about? Anything that just comes to mind in closing? Something you feel you'd like to share with everyone? Yeah, uh, I think that one of the other things that I've learned through this research is believing that you are enough. And I say that also kind of in a very personal level of trusting that I am enough. Because so many times I doubt myself, like, am I going to be able to do this? Or, but, but this kind of mantra <laughs> that appeared... <laughs> In, in one of the acting lessons that I do with a friend of mine that is called Daniel Bradford, we are doing mindful acting workshops, and I'll let you know about them, um, because we're thinking about doing some of them online now. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, but it appeared in, in one of these uh, classes that we developed together, and it was the importance of kind of highlighting that, that I am 
enough. And it has become kind of my personal mantra nowadays. And it's part of my practice of self-compassion that more and more uh, I realize that it's kind of the key of mindfulness practice for me. That even though I've been practicing for, I don't know, 20 years or so, I still am hush with myself so many times, you know. I still figure, like, find so many ways to be aggressive. And I know that that's not the way, <laughs> but I do it anyway. So, uh, so how can we pursue that, actively pursue that, a commitment towards self-compassion and this small phrase that I am enough mm. has helped me a lot to believe in the baby steps you know like okay I can do this today I can do this today very humbling way of just uh, kind of walking towards authenticity Hmm. That is beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming and sharing with everyone. It's uh, um, very inspiring uh, to hear your um, insights and what you're working on. And um, thank you again for coming. Yeah. No, thinking, thank you for the space, <laughs> <laughs> for opening this page and yeah, hopefully it makes sense to someone out there, you know, you never know. <laughs> we, we offer that up. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. offer it to the winds and yeah. it will, where it has to get, to go, you know. I'm just seeing like an image of one of those like seed pods, like going around on the wind, you know, through a, yeah. a field. And it's sort of like, I think all of us feel a little bit like that right now. <laughs> but yeah, You never know where it's going to land. Hopefully it lands and it helps someone out there. Just where it needs to be. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. All right, take care. Thank you so much. <laughs> Love you. Love you. <laughs> you can explore more of my teachings at www.nickkranz.com. By becoming a monthly member, you can join the online Sangha, where I offer a path of practice and study for the membership. Social Meditations Podcast is copyrighted by nickkranz.com Productions. Our theme song, Naturally Spaced, is by New Hermitage, which is comprised of Andrew McKelvey, India Gailey, Ellen Gibling, and Ross Burns. <laughs>